Well, morning, everybody. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving celebration with your families. Kiddos, it's great to have you in the adult worship service. Are you as fired up to be in here as we are to have you? Yes, one child back here is super excited to be here with the adults, but it's great having you. We do this periodically, just have whole family units worship together and students. It's going to be great this whole month long having you a part of what we're doing during this time of year. For it is Advent season. Christmas season is upon us. You know it's entered when someone's pepper sprayed at Walmart on Black Friday. That's when you know you've officially entered, right? The Christmas season and the run is here. But the church calendar sets aside these four Sundays as a way of helping ground us in the substance of the season. The word Advent means a coming, an anticipation, an arrival. It's got a twofold purpose to it. So during this four weeks, we will look back and we'll remember that God promised the Messiah would come and he came. And we'll rehearse those truths. And then we'll also look forward. We'll look ahead to the promise of his return. And hear this now, the best way to be watchful and prepared for his second coming is to rehearse and meditate on his first coming. You with me? So you rehearse, you remember, we'll read the scriptures, we'll go through the gospel readings, we'll have messages centered around it. We have these themes of Advent. They're all centered around rehearsing and remembering that God is a God of his promises. He said the Messiah would come and he came. And he promised that in the same way you saw him exit, he will return again. So rehearsing the first helps us prepare for the second. And that's what these four Sundays of Advent are all about. And here's a tension you might feel rising inside of you during this time of year. The tension has to do with the collision between the substance and the shadow. You see, there's a shadow part to Christmas season. And and the tension comes when you try to extract some things out of the shadow of Christmas that only the substance can provide. The shadow of Christmas would be all these wonderful things that we enjoy participating in. Family gatherings, as difficult and dramatic and complicated as those are. And all of the decorations and the lights and the trees and the holiday parties and, and the Hallmark movies and the music of the season. All these things, these are wonderful things. And don't misunderstand me, I'm all in when it comes to Christmas. I was the guy on Lancaster Place over in Royal Run, we were putting up the Christmas lights when a neighbor came by and said, it's awful early, isn't it? I said, yeah, it feels good, doesn't it? I was the guy that like was lobbying Kendra on Halloween, like the day after Halloween, honey, it's time to pull the lights out, it's time to put the music on, it's time to get the hot chocolate flowing, it's Christmas season, I'm all in. So stuff the stockings, wrap the presents, watch the Hallmark movies, go all in. Just hear me real clear now. Let's commit to be a people who don't try to extract from the shadows of the season what only the substance can provide. See, when you put pressure on all that other stuff, here's the pressure you put on Christmas season. You think, all right. It's that time of year, the music, the lights, the decorations, the movies, the parties, the gatherings. It's all going to kind of magically set things right in my life. That's not really what's going to happen. And all you need to do is be on an extended family gathering for any length of time and you realize that one. It's not going to set things right. And when you press onto the shadows what only the substance can provide, here's what you're left with. You know the January blues is a real deal. 
There are more divorces and deaths in January than any other month of the year. Why? I think a large part of it has to do with this. You kind of hold out hope that somehow this season is going to just kind of come through and fix some things. And you're left with disappointment and unmet expectations. And so what Advent does, here's what Advent does. Advent keeps before us the blazing brilliance of the shining light of the substance of this season. The person of Jesus Christ, son of God who became son of man. He is the spotlight upon which all the shadow gets its definition. If there's no light, there's no shadow. So we can't lose sight. Here's what Advent does. Advent keeps it squarely centered on the glory and majesty that God would come for us and send a light of hope as a rescue mission into our darkness. That's the substance of the season. And if you're hanging around the church world for any length of time during this season, our prayer is that you would encounter Jesus personally in your life during this time of year because he's the true hope. He's the one who's going to deliver peace and love and joy and hope. It's this Jesus. So enjoy the shadow stuff all you want. Just make sure we're anchored in the light of the substance of the season. Amen? Can we do that together? So... Here's how we're going to do that. So, well, how does this work as a church? Then how are we going to stay substance-centered this time of year? Well, when we gather, each of our gatherings between now and Christmas Eve are going to be centered on one of the four Advent themes. This morning is peace. Next week is hope. The following week is joy and then love. So those are the four Advent themes, peace, hope, joy, and love. And then when we gather, we're going to have some scriptures read, like we read before. In just a moment, we're going to read a passage. There are Advent readings that probably 80% of the Christians on the globe are reading similarly in the Advent stream for the next four weeks. And I thought, why would we not want to participate in that? So what we have, you have pushed out to you in your app. So if you go to the More tab and you go under the Grow tab in your app, there's Advent readings listed between now and Christmas, and they're daily scriptures that we're all going to be immersed in. Fair enough? And that's enough just to keep grounded in the substance. And parents, I want to encourage you, with the kiddos around the table, at the dinner table, pull these scriptures out. And each day, you can just pull up the day for the weeks that you're on. And then there's the Advent wreath. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Advent wreath traditions in your household, but the purpose of the Advent wreath is to keep the substance of the season before us. So the four candles around the outside of the Advent wreath represent peace, hope, joy, and love. The center candle is Christ candle, which will be lit on Christmas Eve. These four candles each represent a hundred years of silence. So it represents the 400 years between the closing of the Old Testament prophets speaking and the shattering of the silence when Jesus was announced by John the Baptist, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. It was 400 years. So what you do is every time you light a candle, it's 100 years of remembering. And as the month goes along, guess what happens? The light increases pushing back the darkness, and eventually when the center candle is lit, and then on Christmas Eve, we'll all light our candles off of this center candle, and we'll proclaim what? A light has come into this darkness, and he has rescued us and set our feet upon a rock and given us a new place to stand. That's what we proclaim. And it's circular to indicate that God's love, his character, has no beginning and has no end. So some of you actually have an actual wreath at home. That's a good thing to do. 
So I wanna encourage, if you don't have one, this is a great time. Go pick up an Advent wreath, order some candles on Amazon or somewhere, and just start a little tradition in your house. It's a good thing to do. Just light the candle. This week, our candle is the candle of peace. And then each of the following weeks, some of you are gonna be involved. You're gonna come up, you're gonna light the candle, gonna read a scripture, and that's gonna be a part of helping us stay grounded. So this is how we're gonna approach Advent. We're gonna center on the four themes. We're gonna have gospel readings, Old Testament readings, psalm readings. We're gonna light the candles together in the hopes of not trying to drift to the shadows what only the substance can provide. Amen, you with me? So let's stand together for lighting of the peace candle, and we're gonna read together our text for this morning, which is out of Isaiah chapter two. So V, go ahead and put it up on the screen for us. We're gonna read this together. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and you respond, thanks be to God. So at the end of our readings, we'll kind of start a little Advent liturgy through this. We'll read the scripture, and then I or the reader will say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So if you haven't already done so, open up your Bibles to that text, Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to look at three characteristics of what I'm calling Advent peace, Jesus peace, the Bible word for it is shalom, the way things are supposed to be. How much shalom are you tasting in your life these days? The way things are supposed to be. We're gonna look at three characteristics starting in verse two. Notice he says, in the last days. This is why this is an Advent text. So how do we get an Advent text out of Isaiah two? Well, in the last days, that's pointing to, right? This is seven to 800 years before Jesus came the first time. So Isaiah's looking down the corridors of time. Hebrews 12, one says, we've been in the last days since Christ came the first time. Since Christ ascended into the heavens and we're waiting for his return the second time, that period of time, the scripture Scripture calls the last days. So when someone asks you, hey, do you think the end is getting near? Are we in the last days? We've been in the last days since Jesus ascended, and we're one day closer than we were yesterday. That's the proper answer. And we're not going to know when the end is. But here's what we're supposed to do. Be prepared. Be ready. Be watchful. Rehearse his promises of how he came the first time so you're ready for him to come the second time. In the last days, looking down the corridors, when Jesus returns, here's what's going to happen. The mountain of the Lord temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations 
will stream to it. So I put, the words I put on that is Yahweh is viewed as supreme. The first characteristic of Advent peace, of Jesus' peace, is when you settle the value question in your hearts. Every single one of us has to settle this question at some level. What occupies the seat of supreme value in your life and in my life? What matters more to you than anything or anyone else? The answer to that question more than anything else will affect the kind of person you or I become. It's Psalm 115. What you worship affects who you become. Why is God so preoccupied with his people worshiping the right things and not worshiping the wrong things? It's not like he derives some benefit from our worship. He doesn't command his people to bow down and worship him because he needs us to. He calls us to worship him because of what happens in us as a people when we worship. And when we get off-centered on our worship, what happens to us? See, if you worship money, you become greedy. If you worship work, you become driven. If you worship like beauty and all that, you become image obsessed. If you worship approvals and accomplishment, you become a people pleaser. You become like what you worship. If you worship your children, you put your family at the center, you become a helicoptering and controlling parent. What you worship affects who you become. So God is always tapping on the issue. What occupies supreme value in your heart? Simpson, what sits in that seat? What is jockeying for that position? When you settle that the God who came for us in Jesus has sole occupancy of the seat of supreme value, what comes with that is shalom, is Advent peace, is Jesus' peace. And there is no other pathway to it. When you conclude in your heart of hearts, in the deepest crevices of your soul, that the mountain of the Lord's temple is chief in your hearts, when that's settled, not just on Sunday morning from 10 to 11.15, but when that's settled Tuesday morning at staff meeting, Thursday when you have that tough report you have to give, or when you've got the kids and you're cooking mac cheese for them, whatever's going on in your everyday life with Jesus, when you settle the supreme value question. That's what begins to usher in Advent peace. Listen to how John Piper put it. I put this quote in your notes. I think it's worth reflecting on all week long, actually. Strive with all your strength to know God and to humble yourself under his mighty hand. Don't be content to guide people among the foothills of his glory. Become a mountain climber on the cliffs of God's majesty. And let the truth begin to overwhelm you so that you will never exhaust the heights of God. Every time you climb over a rim of insight, there stretches out before you, hear this now, disappearing into the clouds, a thousand miles of massive beauty in the character of God. So set yourself to climb and ponder the thought that everlasting ages of discovery in the infinite being of God will not suffice to weaken your gladness in the glory of God or dull the intensity of gravity in his presence. That's what it means to settle the supreme value question. So the first characteristic of Advent peace, Jesus' peace, shalom, is Yahweh. The God who came for us in Jesus is viewed as supreme, reigning unchallenged in the temple of the soul. 
Second quality is verse 3. Many peoples will come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, underline that, so they will walk in his truth. Underline teach and underline walk. So the second quality is there's this quality of people longing to hear what God has to say. And not just longing to hear it, but to walk in his ways. And if you jump down to verse 5, it says, let's walk in the light of his truth. So there's a picture of not just hearing from God's word, but heeding what we're hearing, to be doers of what we're hearing. So the first picture you get of Advent peace is that you settle the supreme value question, and then you're thrust into this hunger and longing to hear what God has to say. It's Psalm 42. It's as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. It's Psalm 119 when he says, your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Your statutes are more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. It's that. It's that kind of longing. It's that kind of hunger. Is that, is that saturating the desires of your heart? That's where peace is found. We're longing to hear what God has to say, and then we want to put into practice, we want to live out what we're hearing. We're streaming to the feet of God to say, Lord, dig out my ears, incline my heart to your statutes. Help me to see, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. So my question for you on this point is, where's your hunger for the word these days? Where's your desire and longing to hear what God has to say? Would you put it in an increasing category? Would you put it in a decreasing category? Would you put it in neutral? Where is it? Because Advent season presses this upon us as a people who are preparing for his second coming, rehearsing his first coming, we're longing to hear what he has to say. We're hungry to put into practice the things he says in his word like what Martin Luther said. I love this quote from Luther. He says, for a number of years, I have now annually read through the Bible twice. <laughs> Interesting thing about Luther, in his older years, his biography said, he, he decided, he had around 70 years old, he said he needed to pick up the pace on his scripture reading. He'd only been reading through the Bible twice, basically every year of his adult life, all the way through Genesis Revelation. He said he got into his 70s, he goes, I wanna finish strong, so I need to pick up the pace. So I don't know how many times he read through it from the, from the 70s to when he died 10 to 12 years later. It's like Luther, I mean, he was just finishing strong by further mercy. I thought that was a great picture of what Isaiah 2 is bringing up. Listen to what Luther says. If the Bible were a large tree and all of its words were little branches, I have tapped at all the branches, eager to know what was there and what it had to offer. Isn't that a great image? This year, are we going to be a people who tap at all the branches of God's word, eager to see what that has, tap at all of them, not just the Psalm 23 and the Philippians 4, the favorite anchor points, as good as those are, but all the branches of God's word. And kids, students, if you become increasingly irritated with your parents or your spiritual leaders about the consistent we, with, consistently with which we keep this word before you, here's what's on our heart. We desperately want you to grow up with a strong foundation in this God-breathed book. And we feel a responsibility as a parent or a pastor or a small group leader or a teacher in the loft or downstairs in the Eagle Kids area. We feel responsible to pass on these statutes, commands, and laws to you. And so we're going to immerse your life 
with the hope and prayer that you'll be able to say what Luther said someday as you walk with him. That you'll be able to say, I've tapped at all the branches, eager to know what he has to say. And my life has been shaped by those words because I'm walking in that light. And so parents, I want you to have a degree of confidence and trust. When you place your kids under the care of the various ministries around here, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we will keep the scriptures centered before the children. That is our covenant to you. And here's the partnership ask. We ask you to join us and do that at home. Because we've only got about an hour to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning here, times however many Sundays a year. A consistent attender, if you said 40 Sundays a year, we get 40, 45 hours a year. And then add up all the cumulative effect of the hours you have, right? Sitting around the dinner table or at bedtime. What? Putting the statutes and commands and laws and decrees of the Lord before him and say, tap at all those branches. Because that's where Advent peace Jesus, peace, shalom. The people of God's relationship with the word of God should look like that. Streaming to his feet, hungry to hear what he has to say, and eager to put it into practice. That's normal Christian life. So first quality of Advent peace is you settle the supreme value question. The second quality of Advent peace is you kind of take a mirror into the soul and say, hey, where am I at with uh, streaming to the feet of God, hungry to hear what he has to say and eager to put it into practice? Where am I at with this God-breathed book? And then thirdly, verse four, he will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will be, underline this, their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So the third quality of Advent peace is there's a uniting for the greater good. And I want you to notice, did you see the imagery that the swords and the spears aren't just something kind of discarded and laid aside, but they're actually transformed, molded and shaped from weapons of war to instruments of peace. Did you see that? I put a lengthier quote in your notes because I thought it was significant enough. Follow it with me here. John Butler says it this way. Peace is not just throwing your weapons away. The weapons of war become something else. Peace is not just the absence of war so I can get rid of my swords and spears. No, I have to turn that sword into a plowshare that I can use to do something productive. Peace or shalom is not just the absence of war. It's the making of peace. Shalom means not only that you don't do anything to hurt people, it means that you work with all your energy to help people. Shalom doesn't mean only that there is no hatred. Shalom means, hear this, that there is active, aggressive love. Shalom means, as Paul says, that you overcome evil with good, and you have to work at shalom. Our Lord doesn't say, blessed are the peaceful. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Shalom means that you make peace, and sometimes, gang, that's hard. And boy, I can't think of a more appropriate text for our nation today than Isaiah 2-4. The kind of year we've had together and continue to have as a country, I think it's appropriate that this season and this text would say to us as a nation, hey, it's time to put the swords and the spears down. 
It's time to let them be molded and shaped into something as an instrument of peace. And let's unite for the greater good, especially the people of Jesus. There's far more in the people of Jesus that brings us together than divides us. So the most united group of people on the planet right now should be the people of Jesus during a season of Advent when we light these candles and we reflect on these stories. Remember, this is what centers us as a people to put down the spears, to put down the swords, let them get molded and reshaped into what? Plowshares and pruning hooks. Those would be like garden tools, something to be productive, something to spawn and do some peacemaking in this world. So a couple weeks ago, I went to a monastery because you know, you guys know me well enough by now that sometimes when life's noise and pace gets to a certain point, I just kind of escape to quiet places of rest where I can just pray and be still and journal and listen and be in the scriptures and think and reflect and all that stuff. And I just need to go find place like that. Monasteries I found are great for that. I went down to Beach Grove, Our Lady of Grace Monastery. There are 50 nuns who live there. So 50 nuns in me. My wife thinks that's the title of a book at some point, 50 Nuns in Me. Um, but after one of the little uh, prayer sessions where we just kind of sing the psalms together, uh, Sister Bernadine greeted me out in the little foyer area. Sister Bernadine, I asked her, um, I asked her how long she had been there, and she said she'd been there for 68 years. And I said, well, when did you come here? She said she was 19. She entered the monastery, was 19. She's been there for 68, she's 87. And she could tell I was kind of taken back by her length. She says, I've been light, she said, I've been lighting my candle and I've been praying for 68 years. I just had to ask her. I said, Sister Bernadine, what have you been praying about lately? And she looked me right in the eye. She said, I've been praying for peace. Because she said, our world has so much anger in it. I've been praying for peace. And she looked me in the eye and she said, and you know, Jesus is the only one who can bring that. And then she just kind of strolled away. Where else do you go to have these kind of conversations? I'll tell you, whatever Sister Bernadine's praying for, I want in on that. But the weight and the gravity, can you feel the weight of those words? Such simple, which says, I've been praying for peace. There's so much anger in this world. And only Jesus can bring that peace. That's Isaiah 2. That's Sister Bernadine praying the swords and the spears get thrown down, thrown into the fire, molded and shaped into what? Pruning hooks and plowshares. That's what she's praying for. She's praying the body of Christ would come together and be an instrument of peacemaking in a world that's filled with so much division and hatred. Only Jesus can remove the dividing wall of hostility. Only he, he's our only shot. Only Jesus can drain the reservoir, hear this, of anger and resentment and bitterness that's built up in whatever relational worlds you're battling through. Only Jesus can drain that reservoir bone dry. And Advent peace is found when you finally settle in your hearts that this is the time of year to set aside the stuff that has been creating war and hostility and you begin to do the harder work of pursuing peace. So there's Isaiah's two's entrance into the Advent season. 
by setting before us a three-pronged grid for Advent peace, Jesus peace, shalom. Yahweh viewed as supreme, people longing to hear what God has to say, and committed to uniting together for the greater good. So I'm going to have the worship team come up, and I'm just going to ask you a sequence of questions as we transition to the communion table. So as we go to the communion uh, table here, by the way, you don't need to be a member of Eagle. Uh, maybe you're visiting today with some family. It's great to have you worship with us. You don't need to be a regular participant even around here to join us at the communion table, but the scriptures are clear. You do need to be a follower of Christ. So this is a good time to sort that out. And if you haven't come to the place where you've surrendered your heart to Christ, where Romans says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you've laid your sins at his feet and you've received his righteousness and you've become born again. When you become a Christian, you're ushered to the table to rehearse those truths again. So if you're in that spot, you're kind of wrestling through that, just stay in your seat or come up here for some prayer. We'll be glad to help you through that. But as a Christian, we're invited to the table under a banner of, this is a time for us to examine. And so I thought we'd just kind of let Isaiah 2 be our time of examining as we approach the table. And it's great that the kids and the students are with us, so whole family unit. So in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you to these two tables. You can just surround the whole table. I believe there's gluten-free options at both spots. And then you can just kind of grab, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the juice, and then just disperse all around this room in pockets, family units, life groups, however you want to do it. If you want to be by yourself, or maybe there's something specific you'd really like prayer for. And that's what these kneeling benches up here, you're welcome to come up here. We believe God still heals today. Even some testimonies and stories this week in, this, in our own body of how God just physically touched lives. He still does that today, you know. And we believe that. And one of the reasons we do it at communion table is we believe his broken body and shed blood didn't just purchase our spiritual wholeness, but also purchased physical wholeness for us. So we pray and we ask God to touch lives physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So maybe you're carrying something and you want some prayer. You just make your way to the front in just a moment here and we'll be glad to pray with you in preparation for the table. So first question of examination as you head to the table. What's occupying the seat of supreme value? What would the people who know me best say matters most to me? This table says there is no one and nothing that compares with the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth laying down his life for you and me. This table says there is one Jesus of Nazareth that has all rights reserved to the most supreme place in our hearts. No one else has laid down their life that we might have eternal life, only him. And this table says that. So no better time to get that sorted out. Maybe you just wanna confess the stuff that's jockeying for the throne, barking for attention in that temple. Confess it and just redeclare again, it's all rights reserved for Jesus as Lord. And then you come to the table. Second question is, how's time with the God-breathed book these days? Could you say what Isaiah 2 says? You're longing to hear what God has to say. It manifests in carving out time to sit at his feet and open his word and listen. And maybe as you come to the table, you just want to say, you know what, Lord, I want this Advent season to be kind of a renewal and a revival of what used to be 
or continuing the fire that's already burning. But let's be a people this season who tap at all the branches. And then thirdly, maybe as you come to the table, you know God's been speaking to you about a relationship. It's time to put the swords and the spears down. It's time to let the plowshares and the pruning hooks get put into place and to do the harder work of pursuing peace. So maybe there's just some reconciliation. Maybe there's a commitment to forgive. Maybe there's just a work of the Spirit you need to say, Lord, I need to get to that place. But somewhere in that whole relational, there's a reservoir of bitterness, anger, and resentment towards a person or persons, and it's time this Advent season to drain the reservoir. And that only happens through Jesus. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're dismissed to the tables. Jesus, we look back right now and we remember that you came. Father, thank you for sending the Son. When we come to the table, we remember that he grew, he was beat, he was whipped, flogged, nailed, crucified, a spear thrust in his side, blood poured out. We remember that you gave the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. And when they laid you in that tomb, we remember it was silent. And then we remember that the ground shook and the stone rolled away and there was resurrection life on Sunday morning. We remember. And as we go to the tables, we do so as an act of worship. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. Bring your healing grace wherever we need it this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.